1: Good boys and girls, welcome to the 2 Footed Podcast. It is Friday, the 19th of March. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network. means you can go online, keep your data safe, and change your location, access things like American Netflix, etc. Check out LibertyShield.com, hardware and software packages available. It's LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Do check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk for any giftware or homeware needs. Right folks, it is Friday, which means I do have Guy with me. Hello Guy.
0: Hello, I can't believe you're making me, me, talk about FA Cup games.
1: It's very important. We're going to get to the FA Cup. We're going to get to the Premier League games. But first, the Europa and Champions League draws have been made. We'll start with the Europa League. A little bit of an aperitif and warm-up to the main event. Uh, Arsenal draw Slavia Prague. Slavia Prague, who knocked out Leicester, then knocked out Rangers. Lots of controversy last night. Two Rangers players sent off. Bit of a brawl on the pitch. Allegations of Racism against one of the Slavia players. Slavia have come out today and strongly denied what was said, but it does not look good. If you watch the video, he gets right in the players in in Kamara's face, covers his own mouth, says something to him, and Kamara immediately reacts. It does not look good for that Slavia player. Now, the problem's going to be proving it. It's going to be one person's word against another because he covers his mouth and goes right up to him. But it does not look good at all. Arsenal lost to Olympiakos in the second leg, but go through anyway. I think you would make Slavia the favourites to go through, given what they've done in the last two rounds. But Arsenal do have the better team. They should go through. But I have a, a sneaky suspicion that's going to be a very difficult tie for them. Arsenal will be at home in the first leg. Then Granada versus Manchester United. United obviously overcame AC Milan with a 1-0 win at the San Siro. Granada snuck through, having lost a second leg to Molde. Granada are a good team who are overperforming expectations. They're on course this season to finish in the top half in La Liga for the second consecutive year. That would be the first time in their history they've had top half finishes in back-to-back years in La Liga. So they're a smaller club, an upstart club. They've got some really good players. Manchester City's Hel Herrera is probably the star of the team, plays in midfield. If you haven't seen him, think uh Aturo Vidal, um Raja Nanglin, that type of player. He's a player I think will do well in the Premier League, maybe not for City. But if I'm Aston Villa or somebody like that, I'm making a phone call this summer and trying to add him to the mix. United will be strong favourites to go through. And I think you'd probably have to make them favourites to win the competition outright. They are the strongest team left. They have the best squad. They're performing the best. Second in the Premier League, as opposed to you know Arsenal buried in mid-table in the Premier League. Granada, mid-table in um, La Liga. Villarreal, mid-table in La Liga. Roma, I think, are sixth in Serie A. And while Ajax, Slavia and Dinamo are going well in their domestic leagues, they're much weaker domestic leagues than the Premier League or La Liga. I think you'd make United favourites to get through. Uh, Ajax versus Roma... Roma overcame Shakhtar, Donetsk 5-1 on aggregate over the two legs. Very good performances in both games from them. Ajax overcame Young Boys of Burn 5-0 on aggregate. Um, I think this is a very, very interesting tie. I think this is the tie of the round. I think it's the most evenly balanced. Both teams have plenty of quality players. Roma playing an interesting back three that's very, very sweeperish. ish Brian Cristante has moved from midfield back into defence playing in that central role and playing it a little bit like a sweeper. Not so much as a third centre-back, but more as a sweeper. Um, able to step out into midfield, carry the ball a little bit, ping passes around. Good player, well-suited to it, and Roma are strong. They have good players throughout. Mkhitaryan is in great form. Pedro's in good form. Uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini is a is a top player who I think, will move on to a bigger club, or a better club than Roma. We've got good centre-backs there, the likes of Ibanez. uh, Kumbala. when he's played, it's it's a strong Roma team. Um, But Ajax, obviously, loads and loads of talent. Dusan Tadic, Anthony, David Neres. It's a quality team, quality players. The likes of Ryan Gravenberch in midfield, obviously, will catch the eye. I think I would back Roma. but. It wouldn't surprise me if either team came through. And then the last one, Dinamo Zagreb, who overturned a 2-0 deficit to beat Spurs 3-2 in aggregate. And Villarreal, who beat Dinamo Kiev 4-0 in aggregate, won both games 2-0. Now Villarreal are a fairly average team, but they are managed by Unai Emery, who the one thing he's great at is winning this competition. He is sensational at winning this competition. If you need a manager to come on board and win you a Europa League, you call Unai Emery. Um, Won it three times with Sevilla, got to the final, and lost, obviously, with Arsenal. Loves this competition for reasons known only to himself. Everybody else hates it. He adores it. Zagreb's manager is currently in prison. Well, he has resigned. They don't currently have a manager there. The guy who was the manager, he's in prison now. Um, For corruption So Obviously a little bit of chaos at the club there You would fancy Villarreal To get through If they they get out of Zagreb with a good result They'll go through Because they will beat Zagreb at home Um, The first legs will be played on the 8th of April That is a Thursday The second legs will be played the following week On the 15th Arsenal, Granada, Ajax and Zagreb Will be the home teams in the first leg So advantage to Slavia, Villarreal, United and Roma having the second legs at home. Uh, in terms of the Champions League then, Bayern Munich drew PSG. So one of last year's finalists will go out at the quarterfinal stage. Fair to say that's the tie of the round. PSG's domestic form has been very poor this year. They've lost seven games. They're only really in the title race in France still because Lille and Lyon keep leaving the door open for them. Bayern are four points clear in the Bundesliga, starting to look a little bit formidable again. They knocked out um, Lazio 6-2 on aggregate to get through. PSG went through 5-2 against Barcelona. So one of the heavy hitters is going out. I think that is going to be a really, really interesting tie. Manchester City drew Dortmund, City obviously knocked out Borussia Mönchengladbach, 4-0 on aggregate, looked very easy for City Dortmund beat Sevilla 5-4 on aggregate didn't make it look that easy but got through nonetheless this is Man City against Erling Haaland if Jaden Sancho's fit that is going to be massive for Dortmund as well because those two will cause City problems and as good as John Stones and Ruben Diaz and America Laporte have looked this season when played centre-back for City, they haven't seen anything like Erling Haaland. So, Dortmund's chances lie with that big, monstrous Norwegian. City will be the strong favourites to get through. They should go through. They have more quality. But you just don't know what with Dortmund. The problem for Dortmund is that even when they get into, into the lead, they struggle to hold on to Leeds. Defensively, they've been quite poor. Matt Hummels is a shell of himself. They're bad. They're badly coached. They obviously sacked uh, Lucien Favre earlier this season after he had disappointed for about two and a half years, which is you know kind of par for the course with him. Now brought in Edin Terzic as a uh, caretaker till the end of the season it was a strange decision at the time, but then they announced that Marco Rose will take over in the summer. So to explain that uh you would you'd expect City to get through. Uh Porto against Chelsea. Chelsea get the easiest, quote unquote easiest uh draw of the round. Porto knocked out Juventus, so in a massive surprise, the biggest surprise of the last round to get through. Chelsea probably the second biggest surprise knocked at Atletico Madrid 3 0 in aggregate. Now Chelsea's form has obviously taken a massive uptick since Thomas Tuchel took over. Because if that was Lampard in charge, they'd be out and they'd still be at mid-table. They're a different beast under Tuchel. They will be heavy favourites to beat Porto. But Porto showed against Juventus they're not to be overlooked. Juventus didn't treat them with the respect they deserved. And Juventus went out. So that'll be a tough task for Chelsea. But you do have to make them favourites to get through. And then finally... Real Madrid versus Liverpool. So, first things first, advantage of Liverpool having the second leg at Anfield. But Liverpool aren't in good form. This game will be played right after we get back from the international break. So, they'll play Arsenal on the Sunday. And I assume this game will be on the Wednesday. This is the draw I wanted, I have to be honest. The only other team I wanted Real Madrid to get was Dortmund, just because I wanted to see what Haaland could do to uh, to Ramos. But I know that there's a, a, an Egyptian who bases himself in Liverpool who's very, very excited now at the thought of uh, getting to see Sergio Ramos again. Liverpool 0-Real Madrid for the 2018 Champions League final where they lost 3-1. And I think they'll be quietly confident about this. Now, the, the issue at centre-back will still be the issue at centre-back. That's not going away. But they do now have three weeks to work with Quebec and Phillips and make a decision if that's what they go with in that game. Now, it may well be that they have to go with Fabinho in in central defence for this game. I hope it's not. I hope they decide to stick with Phillips and Quebec. Keep Fabinho in midfield with Thiago. If you can get Naby Keita fit for these games, fit and ready, if he's ready for these games, I think Thiago Fabinho and Keita against Cruz, Casemiro, and Modric would be absolutely fascinating. Rails' defence isn't particularly good either. They've got issues there. They've got issues up front with Eden Hazard constantly injured. Benzema carries that team in attack right now. Maybe Quebec or Phillips just needs to volley him up into the stands. He's had some injury problems. Maybe you step on his foot. Um, I think that's a very hard one to pick. If Liverpool had even one fit senior centre back, if they had Quebec and Gomez, Quebec and Matip, never mind Quebec and Van Dyke, if they just had Quebec and Gomez or Quebec and Matip, I would make them favourites to go through. But Phillips and, and Quebec is different. I think it's going to be a tough, tough tie, but I think Liverpool stand a really good chance. I do think they stand a really good chance. So again, Bayern. Real, City and Porto will have the first legs at home. Now I think two of them will go through. I think Bayern will beat PSG and City will beat Dortmund. On the other side, I think Chelsea beat Porto and the Liverpool game I think is, is a toss-up. Um, so those are to be played. I think the 6th and 7th is the first leg and then the 12th and 13th is the return leg. I could be wrong about those days but I think those are correct. Um... I think it's an exciting draw. I really, really do. Right. Uh, That is then. For now, we have four Premier League games this weekend. As teams that had games in hand catch up on them. And then we have a full round on the the 3rd of April. So a nice two-week break after this weekend up until those games. We also have four FA Cup games. So I'll bring in Mr. Drinkle make him talk about the FA Cup, which I know he, he doesn't like. Ugh. Um, Which do you want to do first? Do you want to do Premier League or do you want to do FA Cup first? Uh,
0: we'll do Premier League because there's a Friday game, so we'll get that out of the way first. Um, and avoid talking about that horrendous, boring cup. Um, So, Friday night game, Fulham v. Leeds. Um, I was talking to today last night on his pod doing doing this pretty much and I'd probably make Fulham favourites going into this game Dave because Leeds' struggles in London are well documented Fulham albeit not winning games they're certainly tough to beat and I think the one he lost to Man United and Man City recently but the real question is can Fulham take advantage of Leeds' poor record in London
1: yeah, I mean that that's that is where you have to start. If you if you look at Fulham's season starting in November, start of the second of November, the teams they've lost to, West Ham currently in the Champions League mix, Everton, maybe not in the Champions League mix anymore, but certainly in the Europa League mix. Man City going to win the title. Chelsea top four. Man United top four. Leicester top four. Spurs should be top four, but have made a mess of themselves, and City, again, going to win the league. So they've only lost to top teams since the start of November. Now, they've drawn an awful lot of games. That's been a problem for them. They've drawn 10 games in that time. They had a disastrous start. Everybody remembers that he took one point from the first six games. Since then, like I say, they've only lost to top teams, but they have drawn too many. Now, they have won three of their last seven, they beat Everton away. They beat Sheffield Wednesday at home, Sheffield, Unite, Sheffield United at home, and they beat Liverpool away because everybody beats Liverpool away. Um, so they are in pretty good form. You would suggest that they're a team capable of beating a lot of teams in the Premier League because they do have a lot of talent. I think that's a mid-table team when you look at the likes of Ariola, Aina. Robinson, Anderson, Tosin, Zambo, Lamina, Luckman. I think they're all players comfortably belonging in mid-table. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well. Josh Madge is a player I like. He was a good addition in, in the January window. So he gives them a goal threat now that they were lacking in the first half of the season. So I do think they should be favourites to win this game. Leeds, like you say, their their travels in London, they've been a disaster. They've lost... All five of their trips to to London this season, and they've lost four of their last six games. So they're having a a, a tough enough time at the moment. Add to that the uh, the issues they've had getting to and from London. You know, with with any sort of respectable decision. Add to that the injury problems. Liam Cooper ruled out. Pablo Hernandez a doubt. Patrick Bamford will have a fitness test. Rodrigo will have a fitness test. Forshaw and Leaf Davies are ruled out. Fulham should be close enough to, top, to, to full strength. Kearney and Roddick are out. They, ha- they wouldn't be playing anyway. Bobby de, de over reed should be fit for this game. Uh, he should at least make the bench. So Fulham will have a full deck to pick from. Leeds won't. Leeds don't travel well. Fulham have only really lost teams that are in the mix for European football. Now, they have lost a lot at home. Their last five defeats have all come at home. But again, they've all come at home to good teams. Um, God, when you think about it, though, they've lost nine games at home this season. That is atrocious. They've lost nine at home from 15 played. That's really, really poor. Um, Leeds beat them at the start of season 4-3. I'll say a Fulham win. I'm not going to predict scores because I've, I've, I'm just complicating things too much. I'm going to pick home wins, away wins, or draws. I'm going to say this is a home win, Fulham to win the game, but I think it'll be a tight one.
0: That that's just bottling predictions, that Dave. If it I is. Say it
1: is, and I'm happy. I'm happy to do it. DVD. I'm happy to be a coward.
0: It's unacceptable. But anywho, um, yeah, I'd agree with Fulham. I mean, they should win, but. Put your money on a draw. That's probably the result. (laughs) Um, Saturday, the only game, Brighton v Newcastle. Um, Such an important game at the the bottom of the table. Obviously, if Fulham win, there'll be so much pressure on both these teams going Mm. into this game. Um, Brighton, much-needed win last week against Southampton. I think it was. And Newcastle, somehow, I think they've drew three games in a row, which... I, I, I don't know how good the form they are in but
1: yeah that or... that's considered good form for them. Well yeah yeah. three <laughs> draws in a row. More yeah, more avoiding th- defeat three times in a row. Um but yeah they have they have gotten the three draws. Now like you said the, it, the outcome of that Fulham game will massively impact the mood in the dressing room before this game because if Fulham win they will go above Newcastle in the table. Now, Brighton have a better goal difference than Fulham. Um, they're minus seven as opposed to minus 14. So a Fulham win puts them above Newcastle, level on points with Brighton. We'll pile the pressure on Steve Bruce in Newcastle. Steve Bruce has come out today in his press conference. And, and for the first time all season, he's taken a little bit of responsibility for the horror show that has been Newcastle United. But like, when you look at their season, To the first 12 games, they were actually going okay. Five wins. Sorry, yeah, sorry, first 12 games, five wins, uh, two draws and five defeats, which was fairly solid. That was going to get them a nice, easy slot in mid-table. It's a very Roy Hodgson type of mix. But since then, they have been a disaster. They've only won twice. They've lost five in a row. They've lost 10 out of 14. Now, they have drawn their last three, which has been an improvement. But, you know, it, it really hasn't been a good run for Newcastle since mid-December. Only two wins in those five draws. 11 points from, what are we, 16 games? It's, it's just not good enough. That is going to get you a one-way ticket to the championship. They obviously got dumped out of both cups as well in that that period. So I think Bruce has major work to do, and he doesn't have long left to do it. I mean, this is, this is game 29. So, you know, you're into the last 10 games of the season. You really need to get your stuff together, or it is going to get too late. And they have a tough run coming up. Like, they've got Spurs at home, Burnley away, and West Ham at home in the next three after this. If they lose this game and Fulham get ahead of them, they're going to have a tough time getting back above them. Even if they take a draw in this game, they'll still end the weekend below Fulham if Fulham win because Fulham's goal difference is superior. Now, Brighton finally, like you said, got that win against Southampton. They had lost three in a row going into that, which had spoiled what had been a good run up to that. Six games unbeaten, three wins, including wins over Liverpool, Leeds and uh, Tottenham. At home, I think I fancy Brighton, I have to say. They'll have all of the ball. Newcastle aren't good enough defensively to keep them out. Brighton beat Newcastle 3-0 at St. James's in the second game of the season. It was the game where Yves Basima got sent off for hitting Jamal Lewis with with the sweet chin music. Um, I fancy a home win here I have to say If I look at the injury issues Brighton have had some problems And Webster's out Connolly and Burner are out And Donay March and Lamptey are out But Newcastle themselves Not particularly good All of their front three ruled out Wilson, St Maximum and Almiron And Fabian Schär still ruled out Who's you know probably their second best centre-back After Jamal Lachelle So I think the lack of an attack for Newcastle um, mitigates the fact that Brighton are missing probably their best defender in Adam Webster. We'll go Brighton home win, and um, I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be fairly emphatic, not on the scoreline, but in terms of performance. Like I think it'll be a couple of goal margin, but I think they'll have like sixty-five, seventy percent of the ball and absolutely bombard the Newcastle goal.
0: But do you trust Neil Mopai and Danny Welbeck to score goals?
1: No, but I think I trust Le- uh, Leandro Trossard to score one, and I think they'll get one from like a set piece. Newcastle struggle a little bit defending the set piece, and Lewis Dunk is very, very good at attacking the set piece. So I, I think they'll find goals. Like you say, Mopai He's such a good player at everything else. Everything else he does, he does really well. He just cannot put the ball in the net. Uh, I wouldn't trust Danny Welbeck to, you know, to open and close the door for me, let alone score a goal. But it is what it is. uh, Graham Potter obviously lost a bet at some point in the preseason where he has to play with at least, with, with at most 10 men most weeks. And then some weeks he plays with nine men, empty shirts everywhere. Uh, now they did combine really well to create Troussard's goal against Southampton. Uh, Lalana had a decent turn, played a nice, simple pass into um, Welbeck, and Welbeck's layoff was quite good. The commentator on the game thought it was the greatest thing he'd ever seen. I genuinely thought he was going to need, you know, to get nurses in to revive him after the explosion that happened when, when Lalana did that turn and played. Like, literally, a simple eight-yard pass to a man stood right in front of him, and the guy could not fawn over it enough, but if they can combine for one useful thing every week, that could help Brighton.
0: Yeah, maybe the commentator was the shot Brighton scored two goals in a game. That might be there. Um, But yeah, I think I predicted Brighton as well, so that Probably usually means Newcastle a draw somehow. Um, on to Sunday, uh, we've got two on Sunday: West Ham, Arsenal. Um, if I remember correctly, Arsenal seemingly have a good record against teams that are above them, except Man City. Um, and West Ham are certainly above them, but West Ham, and I know a lot of it was through players being unavailable, whether it was Lingard being lone-tied or Fournals being injured. But West Ham seemingly have this block when they play big teams. That they just try to revert back to type and be overly defensive. And we saw that with Mark Noble coming back into the team and it seemed to ruin what they've built this season on.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you just need to look at last season. Mark Noble played, they were awful, they dropped him. And they improved massively and ended up surviving. Otherwise, they looked like they were going down when Moyes took back over control. Um, I would say, when you look at West Ham, like West Ham have a lot of injuries at the moment. Yarmolenko's out, Masawak is out, Fredericks is a doubt, Fornals is a doubt, Ogbonna is out, and Darren Randolph is out. When you look at them against good teams... They tend to do very well. When you look at them against big teams, regardless of how that big team is playing, as you said, they crumble. And I think that's a Moyes thing. I don't think it's a West Ham thing. I think it's Moyes. If you look at Moyes' track record at Everton, Manchester United, and Sunderland, he has always done awfully poorly against the top teams. The the big six. For whatever reason, they just they frighten him. Um and he's, he does well against everybody else. But this season, um they lost to arsenal they drew 3-3 with spurs lost to liverpool lost to manchester united lost to chelsea remember they were the only top half team to lose to chelsea under lampard this season
0: mm.
1: lost at home to liverpool they did beat spurs 2-1 credit to them they did beat spurs uh lost to man city and lost to Manchester United last time out. They did they drew at Man City early in the season as well at, at at um at the London Stadium. That was before City figured things out and got things rolling. But yeah, they've they've been poor again this season against the big six. Um they're at home in this game. They don't really have an excuse, but they have lost two of the last three. Admittedly, against both Manchester clubs, they beat Leeds sandwiched in between. Arsenal are three games unbeaten. They beat Leicester, which was a great result away from home. Drew at Burnley, which wasn't a bad result, all things considered. Um, Granite Jacka aside, they would have won that game. And then they beat Spurs last time out in the Derby. Um, I think I fancy a draw in this game. Now, Saka is a doubt for this game. And Willian's likely to miss out. Now, they wouldn't really miss Willian. He's not very good. But Saka would be a huge blow for them if he he misses out. I'm going to go with a draw here. I I think when you look at, there are still holes in that West Ham team that you wouldn't be all that confident about. There's players who are massively overperforming. What they've shown over the last, you know, three to four years, the likes of uh, Fabianski, Dawson, Cresswell, Lingard, they those are players that are overperforming this year. All that credit goes to Moyes, but at some point, there is going to be a reversion to the to their more natural level. Arsenal have underperformed this season, and at some point, their talent has to shine through and has to show what they're capable of. I'm gonna say this is a draw.
0: Yeah, it'll be certainly interesting. It'll be certainly interesting. Um, last game before the international break, Premier League wise, Villa against Spurs. Um, now as we say with every Villa game, a lot of it depends on Jack Grealish's fitness, and I think Dean Smith said he might be back. Mm. Um, but probably more importantly for Spurs, obviously off the back of that embarrassing loss in the Europa League, is that Youngman's son. He's definitely out for this game and obviously a hamstring injury. You have no idea when he'll be back really. So uh, how important is Son like for Spurs? Because for me, it's like him and Kane. And then below that, I mean, what you talking Like Hoiberg and then Dombly and then the rest of that. There's not much in that team that you'd say is you need them to be, have Spurs at their top level.
1: I'd add Regulon to that yeah, second group. Yeah. Um, I think he's important to them, but you're right. It's it's Kane and Son, then a gap. Heusberg, Endembele, Regulon, then a bigger gap, and then everybody else. Now, Dele mm. Ali should be in that second group, if not the top group, but for whatever reason, his form has just disappeared off a cliff over the last couple of seasons. Uh, I think he is definitely a candidate for a move away. Now, if Mourinho goes in the summer perhaps a new manager can come in and get the best at of deli because he is a, a super talented player. I think Youngman's son is the best player at that club. I think he's a better all-round footballer than Harry Kane. Now, Harry Kane is obviously mm. a better goal scorer, but I do think Youngman's son is a better all-round player. He's an enormous blow for them. Eric Lamella obviously also sent off um, after slapping Kieran Tierney in the chest and apparently that hurt Kieran Tierney's nose, so he went down holding it. Uh, Villa, Grealish will have a late fitness test on Sunday morning. That tells me if he's fit, he makes the bench, he doesn't start. If he does start, I'd be surprised. Courtney Houser is having a fitness test. Bertrand Traore is having a fitness test. Wesley is back in full training, but I, I think they're going to take it very, very slowly with him. I'd be surprised if he... I'd be surprised if he starts a game this season. I reckon they might have him off the bench a couple of times, then try and get him that full pre-season and bring him along for next year. Uh, Villa have been hit and miss since the turn of the year. That's not not breaking any news. Uh, They've drawn their last two with Wolves and Newcastle. They are struggling for goals, but their struggles began before Grealish got hurt. So you'll get... People trying to make the narrative that, oh, it's just because Grealish got hurt. The last time they scored two goals in a Premier League game was the 27th of January against Fulham in a 3-2 defeat. Jack Grealish played a bunch of games after that. Mm. They've only scored two two goals in two Premier League games dating back to the 26th of December. Mm. So their struggles have been ongoing for quite a while.
0: They only have that... If you count Grealish as someone who can assist and score, they only have Oli Watkins. Who's...
1: Ollie Watkins is the only real yeah. goal scorer in the and team. He's...
0: I wouldn't say he's a natural finisher as well.
1: Anwar Alghazi, Ghazi, do you remember he went in that really hot streak for about mm. two months early in the season, and then he just disappeared. Now, I don't, know if he... I don't think he got injured. He just sort of disappeared out hell of favour. Yeah. So, Watkins has 12 goals this season. Grealish and El Ghazi have seven. Traore has six. Nobody else has more than three, and the person with three is Ross Barkley. Um,
0: <laughs> Were they all against Liverpool? <laughs> yeah,
1: no, like, and he's disappeared as well. Mm. Um, they are struggling for goals defensively. They're still strong. Um, Ezri Konza and Emi Martinez deserve all the credit for that. I think Douglas Louise and in, in that holding midfield role. Deserves mention as well, in terms of creators, uh, Grealish has ten assists this season, but after that, Watkins and McGinn have four, Triori has three, Louise has three, and nobody else has more than two. So again, the creativity has not been spread out. That's why I think this summer you'll see them go for a number nine, perhaps like a Tammy Abraham, and play a front two, and put Grealish in as a ten behind them, and maybe move to a to a diamond shape. Um there's obviously a lot of talent in this uh in this villa team. They spent a lot of money. But there's there's weaknesses as well. And the big weakness is is, is Tyron Mings. Now as an aside, I wanted to address this because I saw a lot of people talking about it yesterday. Um we had recorded before I, I fully saw the England squad. So the England squad was announced Yesterday, I just quickly run through it. So, goalkeepers Nick Pope, no problem, been good for Burnley this season, probably the best English goalkeeper around. Dean Henderson, definitely the most talented English goalkeeper, potentially establishing himself now as first choice for United. Though De Gea was back on the bench uh, yesterday, so we'll wait and see what happens. Sam Johnston, Sam Johnston plays for West Bromwich Albion, who've conceded nearly 60 goals in the Premier League this season. He makes some spectacular saves. He has no business in the England squad. I know Jordan Pickford is injured, but Sam Johnston should not be the pick. Now, I saw somebody say, oh, it's because Aaron Ramsdale was needed for the under 21s. If Aaron <laughs> Ramsdale is even in the conversation, there's major problems with England, because Aaron Ramsdale is a bad goalkeeper. Um, I know there's not Mm. a lot of great options available to uh, Southgate with goalkeepers, but I'm sorry, Freddie Woodman, who's currently on loan at Swansea City, is having an infinitely better season than Sam Johnston and was great for them last year as well. Freddie Woodman should have been in this England squad. I know he's playing in the championship, and I don't care.
0: He's not even in the under-21s. So I'm I'm no, getting... he's,
1: 20, he's He's past that age now. He's 24 oh, he? now. So uh, he's, 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 uh, he's grown out of the under-21s. But Freddie Woodman should have been in this England squad. Mm. I would much rather have a goalkeeper who's in good form, in full confidence, playing for a good team, than a goalkeeper playing for a train wreck like West Brom.
0: Well, even, I saw someone Carl say, "Carl Darlow's oh, been better than Tom Johnson." Carl
1: Darlow's been substantially better than than um, Sam Johnson. I saw someone say, "Oh, if Sam Johnson played for a top ten club, nobody would question him being in the English club in the English squad. He wouldn't get into a top ten English club. None of the top ten had touched him. Like, let's look at the top ten: City of Ederson, United have Henderson and De Gea, Leicester have Schmeichel, and I, I think Danny Ward is better than." Uh, Sam Johnston Chelsea have Mendy West Ham have Fabianski who's not great but he's better than Johnston Liverpool have Alisson Everton I mean Pickford's not great and Robin (laughs) Olsen not great but they're still better than Sam Johnston Spurs have Lloris Villa have Emi Martinez Arsenal have Leno I mean you could maybe make an argument he's as good as uh, Gaeta at Palace maybe I'd still mm. rather have Gaeta. I think he makes less stupid mistakes. Meliade's outperformed well. him this year. I don't. I look at the Premier League and I don't see a club who would want Sam Johnston. Genuinely, I do not see a club who would view him as an upgrade on what they have. Well, Sheffield United, maybe. <laughs> literally, literally, <laughs> and they're basically a Championship club already. Hmm. Like Fulham wouldn't want him. Newcastle wouldn't want him. Brighton wouldn't want him. Brighton's goalkeepers in the Sp- in the Spain squad, which is bananas enough. Burnley wouldn't want him. I think Southampton own three goalkeepers better than him. Wolves have really Patricio. Now they might take him when Patricio had injured, but that's about the height of it because he's better than John Ruddy. But realistically, if you look up and down the Premier League, Crystal Palace is the only club I think that would say, "Okay, we'll we'll go for Sam Johnston." And I don't think he's an upgrade. I think he's a sideways move. Sidewards move. From what they currently have. So that was nonsensical. Uh, Freddie Woodman got absolutely screwed there. Right. Into defence. This is where it gets hilarious. Kyle Walker. Fair enough. Playing well. Eric Dyer has been awful for Spurs most of the season. John Stones is having a good season. Don't have a problem with that. Slabhead McGuire, Maguire. I don't think he's all that. I think he's a good centre back. Not a great one. Certainly not what he's hyped up to be. But whatever about him in the team. Kieran Trippier has played five games since the turn of the year and has been suspended for months. Um, He's just come back from suspension. Ben Chilwell can't hold down a first-team spot at Chelsea. He's rotated heavily with Alonso. Luke Shaw, no problem at all. Tyron Mings is awful. Reese James, meh. He's been okay this season, not particularly rot- he's great. He's
0: rotated with a winger as well, at right? And he's,
1: yeah, that's the thing. He's, he's rotated with both Hudson-Odoi and Cesar aspi Laqueta, So he's not even first an automatic first choice of Chelsea. And Conor Cody, I mean, if they're going to play a back three, it makes sense he's got the most experience. But he's not a good defender. The name you may have noticed that's missing is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Southgate's logic is Alexander-Arnold hasn't been in good form this season. Alexander-Arnold has been excellent the last two months. While everything else around him was chaotic, and he had a mess at centre-back next to him, Trent's form has actually been very good. And to say it's based on form, what form have you picked Trippier on? What form have you picked Tyron Mings on? What form have you picked Eric Dyer on? It's absolutely nonsensical. Now, as a Liverpool fan, I'm actually delighted that Trent's not in the squad. I'm actually thrilled by that. I think that's great news but it's utter nonsense. Now in midfield he's picked Lingard, who's had about four games this season. Mason Mount don't have a problem with it. Declan Rice don't have a problem with it. Calvin Phillips barely played in months because he's been injured and had, you know, had lost his, his grandmother, but he deserves a spot in the team. Um James Ward-Prowse I mean we're talking form here. Has anyone watched Southampton recently? He's been as bad as the rest of them. Phil Foden delighted to see him in and Jude Bellingham Delighted to see him in. No real argument with the strikers. Sterling, Kane, Rashford, calvert Loon, Saka and Ollie Watkins. Quite happy with all of that. Did see some suggestions that Harry Winks should feel hard done by. Can't get a game at Spurs. And when he does, he's been awful. Um, Bamford, maybe? But Patrick Bamford is the only one I would say deserved a call-up. But I don't know who you'd leave out. I mean, I I would have left out Lingard. Because if they're playing mm. three at the back, they're only going to play two in central midfield. And Lingard can't play in that too.
0: But maybe and, Saka if he's actually injured as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, if Saka is injured, then you would have left him out. Or just let him go with the under-21s. But I, I it's harsh to leave Bamford out. But at the same mm. time, Kane... Calvert-Lewin and Watkins are all, are all strikers. Mm-hmm. It is hard to justify carrying four strikers. Um, but Sam Johnston is a nonsense. Eric Dyer is as bad a pick as you'll ever see. And Tyra Mings, I mean, Tyra Mings and Connor Cody being in the England squad tells you the level that we're looking at here with this clown of a manager. I mean, he is a genuinely bad manager. Southgate. Uh, he was poor at club level. And he has continued to be poor since taking the national team job. He won 29.8% of his games as manager of Middlesbrough and got Ooh. sacked after he got them relegated. So I really don't know. I really don't know why he, why he was given that job. It's because um, he did
0: slightly better than Gordon Strachan at
1: Middlesbrough. Yeah, I mean, just madness, like, <laughs> God gets the 21s up, like, in fairness, he did okay with the 21s, but he should do okay with the 21s, the amount of talent there he had.
0: Still, there was still a bit of insight he got the in the job was the 21s, change.
1: though. Like, there was, there was a constant
0: rise in the 20s. Didn't he fall out with, like, Zaha and stuff like that, and that's why he picked Ivory Coast? I know Zaha's yeah. probably not a, maybe he wouldn't start, but he'd be a good option for England.
1: That's to my knowledge, that's what happened as well. He had a, a falling out with Zaha, he had a falling out with somebody else. Um,
0: Hodgson, maybe. No, Hodgson's his manager.
1: Hodgson was, Hodgson was the senior manager.
0: Yeah, Southgate.
1: I predicted this at the time. You go back and listen to old Anfield Index podcast. I said about a year before uh, Hodgson left, Southgate's the next England manager now. He didn't get it at the time Big Sam got it. Then Big Sam was found to be corrupt. Surprise, surprise. And then Southgate got it. But he got it because, number one, he was cheap. He'll be on a fraction of what a top manager would be on. Number two, he's an absolute yes man. He won't rock the boat. He won't question things. They don't want another Capello situation, like where Capello used to make demands and insist they improve on you know, practices and, and facilities, etc., and number three, I think the bigger players can push him around. And they didn't like that when Capello was in charge. Terry and Gerard and people like that used to complain that Capello used to tell them what to do. Um, Southgate won't tell anyone what to do. He will just do as he's told because, you know, he's way overachieved what he should have done as a manager. Because, again, hmm. he's not a very good manager.
0: Well, you think it's a, well, he's only been in the job. A little while, but we've had the Phil Ford. Five si-
1: years this year, is he?
0: Good September
1: twenty sixteen, he took over.
0: Pandemic time is mad.
1: <laughs> I know it's not, but,
0: but even then, I mean, we've seen ill discipline because Ford and and Greenwood had their situation, didn't they?
1: Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, it's I don't know. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be keen on him at all now, to be honest. But that squad is a nonsense. Like, it's an absolute nonsense. To have bang average players. Like, Ezri Konsa has been one of the two best defenders in the Premier League this season. Not even in the squad. The guy he's carrying on a weekly basis makes the squad over him. It's a, an absolute joke. Um, you've got Fekio T- uh, Tamori playing for AC Milan and playing well. Hmm, forgot about him. Doesn't even get a look in. Uh, but Eric Dyer is there. Do
0: you think he knows uh, Tamori's uh, at AC
1: Milan? <laughs> I... I don't even think he knows who he is. I. There would be no. It'll be no surprise when a lot of these players start to choose other countries when they have that opportunity. We've already seen Musiala do it. We've seen um, young Musa do it to pick pick America. I think we'll see more and more mm-hmm. young players eligible for England. Maybe even played a couple of friendlies for England, but they'll have the opportunity to switch nations, and I think they're going to start doing it. Um, it's. It's an absolute mess. Defensively, again, midfield, Lingard is the only one I take issue with. And it's not even that I don't like Jesse Lingard. I think he's a solid player. He's played six games for West Ham this season. He played three for United, two in the League Cup, and one in the FA Cup prior to leaving. He missed half a last season. Again, like, the six games he's played, he's been good in three of them, questionable in three of them. He's not tearing the world up, and yet he's in the squad, based on six games, Mm. when Trent is is shanghaied away. Considering
0: how how well, I know you're not a fan of Grealish, as, as much as some people, but considering how well Grealish was playing, and he took him, like, it took an extended yeah. squad and injuries to get him in the and squad, and
1: injuries for Grealish, and, and and a lot of public pressure for Grealish to get mm. into the squad. And Grealish had been playing really, really well. Um, and again, Grealish not only was playing well, but was playing every game for the last couple of years. And it took that for him to get in the in the squad and, and get get games. So, yeah, I mean, I I just don't understand what the issue is. I mean. Look, Jack Grealish is 25 years of age. He has five England caps. Harry Winks is the same age. He has 10. Harry Winks isn't fit to make him a sandwich. Um, You know, you look at some of the... Danny Ings has three England caps. Mm. how How does Danny Ings only have three England caps? Tammy Abraham's five years younger than him and has doubled the amount. I I really don't understand how Southgate picks his squad. Like, it's, you know what's really funny, though? If you look at all the players that Southgate has called up over the past 12 months, the two most capped players, Raheem Sterling, who's 26, he's got 58 caps, and Jordan Henderson, who's also got 58 caps, but he's 30. Hmm. Like, how does nobody have... Like, how is there no England players with, like, 70, 80, 90 caps?
0: Well, you think, isn't, like, Podolsky... Didn't Podolsky get, like, near 200 for Germany and uh, Mertesacker got loads for Germany and England's is Rooney or Chilton or something like that?
1: Like, even look at the current German squad, right? Tony Hmm. Cruz, 101 caps. Uh, Manuel Nairn, 96. Josh Kimmich is tw- has 50. He's only 26. But like, Julian Draxler has 56. He's 27. But they've got two two lads in around the 100 mark. And that's after, like they've already said, oh, we're going to bring back Muller and potentially Boateng into the mix just for some more experience. Um, You look at... um say, the the France squad, like, again, you've got all these incredible young players, maybe the only country with more high-end young players than England, but you know, Hugo Lloris, 120 caps, Rafa Varane 71, he's only 27 years of age, Pogba has 75, Moussa Sissoko, who's awful, 65 (laughs) caps, Oli Giroud, 105 caps, Griezmann, 86 caps you know like all these really experienced players who can guide the team along i mean when when jordan henderson and raheem sterling with 58 caps are your two most mm. experienced you, you've done something wrong sergio ramos has 178 caps for spain mhm and is
0: already on 39 point. and he's 12 yeah I
1: and mean, that's the thing he's like he's like 15 years of age
0: why isn't Jason sancho on 39 caps for england it's not, I don't know. Maybe he's not the same elite elite talent,
1: but... He's close. Yeah. He's close. He's Yet. got 18. Yeah, he, like he can't. Like, Mason Greenwood has one. Yeah. Mason Greenwood
0: has one. Camp. Sancho can't get a, a starting place locked in, really.
1: It's bizarre. Like, the England team should really be picking itself. Hmm. Like, I know Sancho's injured at the moment, but Sancho, Kane, and Sterling is your front three. That's it. There needs to be no debate about it. That's mm-hmm. your front three. Um, the midfield, you have some question marks. And look, Joe Gomez is your best centre back, and he's out injured. But at the same time, Joe Gomez hasn't played for England in a year, mm. for one re- reason or another.
0: You'll probably go back to the back three that got the World Cup warning.
1: Trent Alexander-Arnold is the best fullback. England have, by a mm. mile. He has 12 caps. 12. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like,
0: I know it way both Liverpool fans, but the fact that Trent is rotating with Kieran, an ageing Kieran Trippier and Kyle Walker is, is mad yeah, to me.
1: It is. It's mental. Kyle Walker, who's been fairly mediocre for a couple of years now, Kieran Trippier, who's been objectively bad for a number of years and just been banned Uh, for a couple of months. He has, like, Kieran Trippier has 25 caps. Kyle Walker has 53. But again, Kyle Walker is 30. How does he only have 53 caps? What great right back was keeping him out of the England team? Glenn Johnson. Yeah, garbage. (laughs) Garbage. We'll jump to a quick break. We've gone completely off topic. Did I pick a winner in this one? I'm going to say... I'm going to say a draw in this one. Arsenal Spurs, uh, sorry, Villa, Villa Spurs. I'm going to say a draw. Um, So I've got Fulham win, Brighton win, and two draws from the Premier League games. We'll jump to a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do the FA Cup and we'll be out of here.
0: And we're back and we're on to FA Cup. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, I need more enthusiasm from you I need delight at this wonderful competition that we get to embrace this weekend guy I mean, like,
0: should, I, should that be the first question, because I don't know if this is just a Liverpool fan thing, and I love I love the 06 final, which if, if you're not a Liverpool fan, was Liverpool West Ham where it was meant. but other than that I do not feel anything for the FA Cup
1: No, I love it I love the FA Cup Like, growing up, third round Saturday was like one of the big events of the year on the football calendar. It just was. It was great. And you'd see, you know, massive shocks. Like, the the year Wrexham knocked at Arsenal. I remember watching it with my Uncle George, who was an Arsenal fan. And all his mates giving him absolute pelters of abuse. Uh, as they lost to Wrexham. You know, we've seen great shocks over the years. I think if you go back and look at, you know, say Coventry in 87, Wimbledon in, in 88, um, Portsmouth in 08, oh, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think it was Wigan, 13, Wigan- was it 2013? Let's have a quick. They
0: got relegated the same year. Right.
1: Didn't they? they did. They did. They went down that same year. Yeah, 2013 Wigan. Two thousand eight Portsmouth. Cardiff make made the final that year as well. Mm. Uh Portsmouth got to the final twenty ten. Stoke in two thousand eleven. Hull in two thousand and fourteen. Palace in sixteen. Millwall made the final back in 04. Um you know th- these were just These are things that the fans of those clubs will always remember. But, you know, like as a Liverpool fan, we've won the cup a bunch of times. But I think the most memorable FA Cup final that we've been involved in is actually Wimbledon won Liverpool nil in in 88. Mm -hmm. Because that was the biggest shock in the like that was that was as big a shock as as Leicester winning the league. That's how Mm -hmm. much of an underdog they were. They had no business being on the same pitch as Liverpool, let alone beating them. You know, you go back to Ipswich in in seventy-eight when they won it. Southampton won it in seventy six. Like Southampton won the cup. Like if Southampton won anything now, you'd be delighted from Sunderland in seventy three. Sunderland were a decent enough team around then. Um, you know, West Brom won it in, in sixty eight. It was Spurs competition for a long time. Every ten years Spurs would win it. Um there's just there's a magic to the FA Cup. Now, admittedly, a lot of that got spoiled in 2000 when United decided to just bin off the FA Cup and go and play in uh, the World Club Championship thing in Brazil, purely financially motivated. But that tarnished the Cup. And then in the years since, it has sort of taken a few knocks. You've also had the Champions League and Premier League explode. Like When they were formed in the early 90s, it did have a little bit of an effect on the FA Cup, but it could still hold its own. And it was still held up as being, if not as important, almost as important. And when United won their treble, even the years they won doubles, it was seen as a massively important thing that they won the FA Cup. The year Arsenal won a cup double, that was a massively important thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like since the Champions League and Premier League really blew up in the last kind of 15 to 20 years with all the money that kind of poured in, the FA Cup has definitely Mm. taken a a back seat. But I still think it's a hugely important trophy. And again, like as with the League Cup, I wouldn't be against. um, Sorry, with the League Cup, I I wouldn't be against the top six or the European team sitting out. That'd be fine with me. With the FA Cup, I think you need to incentivise teams to want to win the FA Cup. Personally, I would take the fourth Champions League spot away from the league and give it to the winner of the FA Cup. That's what I would do. Do,
0: do you think the Malays might I be the fact that... I think that, that would make more. Since the turn of the decade, it's been mostly the top four teams and Arsenal who've just won it every year. Is, is that... Because you're naming these iconic moments. I can't really remember any... In, in this decade, released really. it's always no, been Wigan Arsenal. On one. Yeah, Wigan, Wigan is, is the only
1: one. Like, if you look at the last, say the last ten years, so City win it in two thousand and eleven. That was like their first big mm. moment, though. That was their big silverware moment, and and from there is when the floodgates open and league titles and everything else came pouring in. Um, they've won it twice. Chelsea have won it twice. United won it once. Arsenal have won it four times. And Wigan won it once. That's your last 10 years. Liverpool haven't won the FA Cup in 15 years. They're unlikely to win it while Jurgen Klopp's in charge because he doesn't care about it, uh, which I think is a shame considering, you know, we won it twice in six years when it was held at the Millennium Stadium. But you're all right. I mean, it is it is generally the big clubs that do win it. Um, But that that's kind of, it's been the way for a long mm. time. You, even back in the 80s, like Spurs won it twice. Uh, United won it. Everton were great in the 80s. They won it. United won it again. Liverpool won it twice. Um, you had Coventry and, and Wimbledon kind of as the outliers in that decade. But like, if you look at some of the great teams in history, their launchpad towards success has been winning a cup. Um, factor in United under Ferguson the first piece of silverware they won was the 1990 FA Cup without that Ferguson gets fired and doesn't get to keep his job, doesn't get to have the success that he had Um, you know Wenger won the FA Cup as part of a double um, for his first, I think that was his first league title as far as I can remember Uh, you had Mourinho won the league cup that mm. springboarded them. And obviously, like I say, City, their first bit of silverware in, I think it was like 40 years maybe,
0: something, like uh, that, yeah. was,
1: was winning the FA Cup in 2011. And that provided the platform for them to go on and then have great success. So, like, I do just think it can be important. I think, you know, the pageantry of the day out and, and Wembley, and I, I know it'll be empty this year, but Wembley went full. The old Wembley. Not this Wembley. Old Wembley, when full, was spectacular, absolutely spectacular. And you know the the capacity had been reduced drastically over the kind of last twenty years of the lifespan of the old stadium, uh, for safety concerns. But like Wembley used to hold a hundred thousand guy. It used mm-hmm. to be a hundred thousand people at the FA Cup final. You know, like the pomp and circumstance. And I, I, I look, I, I'm not you know, a big pro royal or anything far from it, but, you know, there was something cool about seeing a member of the royal family come down and shake the players hands, and it it was a very English thing to see, do you know what I mean? It Mm. It was kind of the embodiment of England, it was almost like a celebration of the English game and the English way of doing things and that's kind of all been lost because teams don't, well to be fair, the big teams do take it seriously which is why the big teams Tend to win it quite a lot. Um, but They don't really don't have
0: to take it seriously till the semi final, though. <laughs> that's the main problem, I'd, I'd say.
1: Yeah, but I mean, that's like, I don't mind that. Like, I look at, you know, you look at the last round, say, for example, round five, like Bournemouth beat Burnley. So that's an, a, a championship team beating a Premier League team. United beat West Ham in extra time. That was a a very tough game. City beat Swansea. Leicester beat Brighton in a bit of a stinker. Sheffield United and Bristol was a very strange game. Bristol had a man sent off. Quite a tough, you know, proper old-school cup game. Chelsea away to Barnsley. Like, if the crowds were there, that would have been a great game. Um, Because, again, like, for Barnsley to get to the fifth round of the cup, to draw in Chelsea, like the other thing with the FA Cup as well is like for smaller clubs, a glamour tie at home, that can cover their budget for like a season and a half. You know, you used to always get as well in the third round, you'd get this non-league team that would have like a plumber at right back and a carpenter at left back and there'd be a lorry driver in midfield and an accountant somewhere and all these lads who, you know, had a nine to five during the week and became weekend warriors and played a bit of football with their mates at the weekend, and they'd get on a little bit of a cup run, they'd get into the third round, they'd draw Chelsea away, they'd get to go and play in Stamford Bridge, they get absolutely tarmacked. <laughs> it'd be six or seven nil, but they got to experience playing. At a Premier League stadium in front of mm. forty five thousand people, like
0: I did enjoy th- Marine this season.
1: Yeah, like that's the thing. Like Marine this season, what a, an incredible story that was for mm. Marine to get into. What what was that? That was the f- the third round.
0: Third round. Yeah. Chorley
1: was the other one. Mm. Chorley got into the fourth round. Like, and the the crappy thing about this whole pandemic is. Chorley drew wolves at home in the fourth round. Marine drew spurs at home in the third round. Imagine if there'd been fans at those games and to be fair if there'd been fans at those games, I'd imagine both of the fixtures would have been reversed. played at Tottenham and played at Wolves, But with Marine and Chorley taking home the gate and again, that would sustain them for a couple of years. That will save that club for a couple of years. Now they don't have to worry about the finances and again the marine players who all have 9 to 5s would have been able to go play at the tottenham stadium this like gorgeous stadium maybe the best stadium in the country in front of a packed house they and again they got wallop 5-0 at home they might have got wallop 7 or 8 in away but that's not what it's about it's not about the result it's about the experience it's about that memory that you create in the same way that like As bad as life has been for Wigan fans over the last couple of years, they'll always have winning that FA Cup. Portsmouth nearly went out of business, but their fans will always have that FA Cup. Coventry, they've been a train wreck for years now. Same thing, 87 FA Cup. They don't reminisce about the glory days of being in the Premier League. They reminisce about the 87 FA Cup. The reason AFC Wimbledon exists now is because there's a bunch of fans from Wimbledon FC who would not let the memory of the 1988 FA Cup final die. That's why they started a new club. Those things stick with you forever. Wrexham nearly went out of business a half dozen times. Their fans don't let it happen because they always cling to the memories of the great days, like beating Arsenal with Mickey Thomas scoring from 25 yards. And, like, for me, who's got no connection to Wrexham at all, I will never, ever forget watching that game with my Uncle George and seeing that goal go in. Do you know what I mean? That's what the FA Cup is about. It's not about the results. It's about those moments, those memories, those experiences. And getting to, you know, for for, for clubs and players, getting to experience something that otherwise would never be possible. Like, the guys that are playing for Marine... It's very unlikely any of them will ever play in the Premier League, but they all got to play against Spurs. And yes, it wasn't a full strength Spurs team, but Deli Ali was there, and Musa Sissoko was there, and Toby Alderweireld, and Matt Doherty, and and Ben Davies, and Joe Hart. These were all, you know, players who, yeah, sure they're all on the downturn, but they're all big name players. Joe Hart was the England goalkeeper for years. Dele was meant to be the star of this England team. Hasn't worked out for him. Gareth Bale came on. Sergio Regulon came on. They got to swap shirts with these lads. They'll have a shirt in their house. Someone's got Bale 9 on the wall in the house. And they can say, yeah, you know what? We lost 5-0, but I got to play against him. That's what matters. I got to play against him. And in years to come... No one will remember the scoreline. They'll just remember that Marine played Spurs in the third round of the FA Cup, went in through it. They should never have gotten that far. Like, that was way beyond expectation for them. They had to get through the qualifying rounds and then into the real competition, get through two games, and then get Spurs. That's what the FA Cup is about. That's why it's special. And that's why I really want people to to watch these games this weekend, we've two Saturday, two Sunday. I think they're worthwhile. And I think the games themselves, I think there's two, there's one of them that's probably not worth watching, but the other three, I think are all really interesting games.
0: I'm going to guess the one not worth watching involves Sheffield United. Yes, yes, yes it does. Yes. Um but we'll cover that. So we'll get we'll get into the game before this turned into a two hour FA couple of first podcasts from Dave. Um So the first one is twelve fifteen tomorrow. Google does not have what programme they're on, so they'll probably be on BT or BBC. Um Bournemouth, Southampton, the the South Coast Derby proper. Is that is that correct? Uh it's, it's some part part of it's, not derby. it's not Portsmouth. It's not It'll, it'll portsmouth.
1: do. It'll do, but um yeah, I mean, Bournemouth obviously got relegated last year. We're going well in the in the in the championship this year. We're in the the playoff mix. Hit that bad run. Sacked Tyndall. for some reason. Appointed Woodgate till the end of the season. I think I assume because they couldn't get anybody else. Because they couldn't get Thierry Henry. <laughs> yeah, who's who's was who's, who's awful. Like they couldn't get Thierry Henry, and he's an awful manager. Um. They've been hit and miss since appointing Woodgate. They've been inconsistent. They're now out of the uh, the playoff spots. But they're, they've got a bunch of Premier League-caliber players, a bunch of players who know that they're good enough to beat this Southampton team, especially with Southampton playing the way they're playing. Now, I don't have their injury uh, information to hand but, you know, like when I look at players like Lloyd Kelly, Jefferson Lerma, um, Arnott Dunjama, Sam Surridge, Lewis Cook, Philip Billing, David Brooks, like these are absolutely 100% Premier League calibre well. players. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> um, absolutely not. Um, but they're all Premier League calibre players. And you know they're they're doing okay in the championship this season it's obviously not where they'd hoped to be they would have prepared, prepared uh, preferred to be in the automatic playoff picture but they're they're still in the running for a, a mm-hmm. playoff place they're only 2 points behind reading 5 behind barnsley barnsley've been amazing since they sacked well since gerhard struber took his talents to america and freed them from his horrendous reign he was the hipsters the hipsters loved him. Mm. Couldn't get enough of Gerhard Struber Didn't matter that they were awful underneath, under him. And I mean, genuinely, awful. Like, Struber quit on the 6th of... um. I know this is completely off-topic, but it annoys me. He, he quit on the 6th of October. They'd played four games, lost three of them, were in the relegation zone. And the hipsters were fawning over themselves about the pressing. The pressing is amazing. The team was trash, but the pressing was great. Um, Valery and Ishmael took over, and what an incredible turnaround! Like they've been phenomenal most of his tenure. They had a, a bit of a dodgy run uh, around early January, but since then they've been brilliant. They ran off seven wins in a row. What a job he's done! So he he's got them above Bour- uh, Bournemouth, but Bournemouth are still in the mix, mm. going fairly well. Uh, beat Swansea 3-0 in their last game. That was a huge result. Uh, Billing and Denjama and an own goal, uh, turning that one around for them. Do, do um, you think
0: Bournemouth should have kept Eddie Howe?
1: No, I don't. I, I think it was time for him to move on. I think the mistake they made was appointing Jason Tyndall because Tyndall obviously had been Howe's uh, assistant for mm. years. And I think it was just basically a continuation of the same and it had all gone very stale. I think at that point they needed a clean break. So for me, the mistake was keeping, was was appointing Tyndall. They should have gone in a different direction, brought in somebody else.
0: If that different had, direction is Thierry Henry,
1: though, is, does that. Make well, see, therein lies is part of the problem mm. is, is that, you know, we, we have ownership that don't really seem to know what they want. Um, like, Thierry Henry, with the greatest of respect, is one of the best footballers I've ever seen. But that man managed Monaco for 20 games, won four of them, got sacked. Managed Montreal for 29 games, won nine of them, uh, losing 16 and drawing four. Um, strange that he turned down that job at Bournemouth to then leave Montreal Impact anyway a couple of weeks mm-hmm. later, citing family reasons. Well,
0: he's back uh, I would say... It, so he might have just fancied Going back to that,
1: maybe possibly he's actually quite good at that as well. So mm. yeah, s- stick to your strengths, Thierry. Manager management is not one of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bournemouth Bournemouth have enough quality to beat Southampton this weekend. Southampton they're obviously they're in desperate form. Um, they beat Liverpool on the fourth of January. In the twelve games since, they've taken four points. They beat Sheffield United because everybody beat Sheffield United. And they drew with Chelsea one 0 at home. Um, in the cup so far, they've beaten Shrewsbury, Arsenal, and Wolves. And funnily enough, they beat Shrewsbury. Sorry, they beat Arsenal in the FA Cup and then lost to them a couple of days later in the league. And then they beat Wolves in the FA Cup and lost to them a couple of days later in the league. So I wonder if they'd swap. I wonder if you gave Southampton two more league wins in this bad run and had them out in the FA Cup would they take it because I think they would probably because only I three think three points from safety that's like look at them now but like mm. they're they're 4 points ahead of Brighton who are 3 points ahead of Fulham so they're only 7 points off the relegation zone you're probably right another 3 4 points probably keeps them safe in the Premier League but If they'd won those two games, they would be safe.
0: Yeah, true. If they'd
1: have 39 points, I think they'd be safe. Um, And I don't think they're going to win the FA Cup anyway. I think in this game, at Bournemouth, early kickoff, I think Bournemouth are going to win. I'm going to pick Bournemouth to win this game at home against Southampton, a Southampton team that are just desperately out of form. Um, Bournemouth to win.
0: Yeah, I can certainly say I Southampton are awful, but as you say, the form in the FA Cup's good, so maybe they win maybe the not win the FA Cup but get to a semi or a final. But then they end up getting relegated. It's the way. It is the way. Um but next up or uh, the evening kickoff on uh, Saturday is Everton Man City. Um now, the, probably the more interesting team in this game from winning a cup perspective is Everton because they've got Carlo Ancelotti there who obviously won the FA Cup. Did he win it twice?
1: At Chelsea? With Chelsea? Uh, I think you could be right. He definitely yeah, he won, won it once. Du- he won, a, he won dub- a
0: double, didn't he? And then he got sacked when he came second and won an FA Cup, was he?
1: No, he won, he, he, he won the double. He didn't win anything else with them. Ah, okay. Um... He won the double and got sacked the next year. Which, you know, hasn't sat well with Chelsea fans. Um, mad. They paid him six million to go away. Um, that is Chelsea, though. That is, I mean, that is, The Carlo era sums up Chelsea. He takes over. In his first season, he wins the double. And then because the second season doesn't go as well, they sack him. Like, it's not like a thing where they weren't in the mix. They finished second in the Premier League that year. You know, like, mm. they had a real chance to win the league. They they did make a good go of it. They finished nine points off United in the end, but, you know, they still finished second. It wasn't like a thing that they were a disaster that season. Um... But yet they fired him anyway, which was just a very, very strange thing to do. And the FA Cup, I think they got to the fourth they got knocked out in the fourth round that year. Chelsea actually won the FA Cup the the year before he arrived, the year he was there, and then the year after he left. So that round four exit was the only year they didn't win it for a four-year spell. But um second in the league. Mm-hmm. Runners up in the uh, community shield, got to the quarter final of the Champions League, but now early in the League Cup as well. I I would assume that the Champions League failure is what is what prompted the decision. And look, in fairness, they went on to win the Champions League the next year. Now there was, I was lots of in
0: the really expensive manager they just got.
1: <laughs> lots of yeah, they brought in Vias Boas, paid him a fortune, then paid him a fortune to go away appointed Roberto Di Matteo just to see out the season and ended up winning the Champions League. And then hilariously, the following season, they gave Di, uh, Di Matteo a big new contract, then sacked him after a few months, brought in Benitez and would go on to win the Europa League. Um, what a strange, what a strange club. Um, like, think, just think of that. Carlo wins the double, gets sacked a year later. Di wins the Champions League and the FA Cup, gets sacked a few months later. Like, at what other club does that happen?
0: All I'm saying is Steve Holland has a 100% win record as Chelsea manager.
1: That is true. That is yeah. true. He, so, does, he is... so does Ray Wilkins. Yeah, poor old Ray Wilkins. That was uh, quite the shocker when he passed. Mm. Um, great, A great player was Ray Wilkins. Yeah. Um, God, we're coming up on three years since he passed as well. It doesn't seem like that long. Um, yeah, I mean, Chelsea, they're just such a strange club. Um, for this one, like you say, though, Everton, I mean, they brought Carlo in to you know get them top four and win a cup. They haven't won a cup since 1995, as we like to tell them. I don't think this is their year. I still think, you know, you look at City, other than United a couple of weeks, well, last week, uh, they've been two weeks ago. Two weeks ago now, they've been flawless since December. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one defeat against twenty five, twenty six wins in their last twenty six, twenty seven games, something like that. But yeah, I mean, City are just they're on a different level at the minute. It would be a big surprise if Everton beat them, but Everton are at home. If if things go right for Everton, they have a chance. But I think you have to go with City. I'll go City to win. um, But I think it'll be a decent. I think it's going to be a decent game of football. I think the Southampton Bournemouth game will be good. I think this game will be good. I think that's two good games on the Saturday. um, To go with you know a decent Premier League game as well in Brighton Newcastle.
0: How much Chelsea winning by?
1: Um, comfortably, I would say. I think they'll win this game comfortably. Now, the only issue is they don't score many goals. Defensively they're great, they're not going to concede anything. Sheffield United don't have a manager now, they don't have any confidence now. I'd be surprised if if I'd be surprised if, if Chelsea don't win this game by a couple of goals at least and there's a possibility that that Chelsea that everything clicks for them and they just run rampant and they score 5 or 6.
0: They are there is that possibility. Like they are,
1: that's the thing. They are due to give somebody an absolute smacking because they've been smacking the life out of everybody since Tuchel took over without ever really doing damage. This time, I, I think they're going to do damage. It wouldn't surprise me if they put five or six or even seven past what is a bad Sheffield United team with no manager. And they can say, well, Paul Heckenbottom's in charge till the end of the season. Paul <laughs> Heckenbottom's not a manager. I mean, he's a good coach. He's proven to be a bad manager in the past. It was a bad decision. I get why they did it, but at the same time, I think when you appoint someone till the end of the season in March, I think you've given up. And I don't like when teams give up, so they don't deserve to win this game. So here's hoping Chelsea smacked them about. Yeah, I kind of... Well, it's
0: hard to disagree, really. Um... On to probably the biggest game on, on paper, at least, is, is Leicester v Man United. And United, obviously, doing well in the Europa League, seemingly going to get second unless Chelsea kind of keep this perfect form, go in and, and find a few more goals. But Leicester, we all thought the bottling would come eventually because Vardy's not scoring. They have Madison injured, Harvey Barnes injured. But they've, they've seemingly found a way to... To keep winning games, even with people like Vardy not in the best form, obviously in the turning into a monster somehow, mm. is part of that. But where do you see this? Because you'd probably say out of everyone and Chelsea, these two are the ones that. You'd, I'll I'll say this: stop City winning every goddamn cup this season.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. As things stand, I think City and Chelsea are probably the two favourites for the FA Cup. And if they avoid each other, I think the final will be really, really interesting because Tuchel has had Chelsea dominating the football. City dominate the football every time they play. So it'll be interesting to see how that game balances out. United are second, Leicester are third. Leicester have won back-to-back games in the league. They beat Brighton. They wall up Sheffield United. They do have a difficult end to the season. Um, of the top eight teams in the league, they have the most difficult run in remaining. Uh you know, they've got Man City, West Ham, uh, Crystal Palace away won't be easy. Newcastle at home is gonna be tough because Turn will be battling for everything. And then United Chelsea Spurs is the last three. That's a very tough run. There is still time and potential for a collapse like we saw last season Um, especially with Chelsea gaining ground on them, Liverpool seemingly sorting certain things out, West Ham still going strong, Everton still in the mix there or thereabouts, there is still time for that but I also think Leicester have a real shot at winning this competition now James Justin's done for the season but Madison and Barnes Should be back before the end of the season You mentioned Vardy's in a dip That's absolutely true But Vardy tends to be A streaky goal scorer anyway So he tends to go on little Runs where he doesn't score many Now it's been Am I right in thinking That his last Premier League goal Was against Liverpool So he hasn't scored in his last five in the league He didn't score In the FA Cup against Brighton so he six games in the six games in domestic competition without a goal. He didn't score. He's eight games without a goal. Now he didn't play in some of them games, admittedly. That's and that's fine, but he hasn't scored in Leicester's last eight games. He is due. And Vardy against Harry Maguire is a very interesting ma- matchup because they know each other very well. Obviously, we're together at Leicester for a couple of years. Vardy's biggest strength is his pace and his movement. Maguire's biggest weakness: lack of pace, struggles against movement. I'm going to pick Leicester to win this game. Now, United traditionally, under Ollie, get to the semi-final and then fall out. That's happened the last four competitions in a row: League Cup final this year, Europa League League Cup, sorry, League Cup semi-final this year, Europa League semi-final, League Cup semi-final, FA Cup semi-final last year. United fell off. I think they go out in the quarter-final of this competition. But I do think they're favourites to win the Europa League. I think they'll at least get to the final if they get the right draw in the semis. So I'm going to say Leicester win this game and go through, and we end up with semi-finalists of Bournemouth, Man City, Chelsea, and Leicester. And then from there, I think it depends on how the draw works out. But if Leicester got Bournemouth or Southampton and got to the final... You wouldn't bet against Leicester upsetting either City or Chelsea in the final. Because on that big pitch, mm. with Vardy's pace and movement, with Barnes's pace, with Madison's creativity, with quality in midfield and a good defence, you wouldn't bet against them. You wouldn't give them the tag of favourites for sure. They'd be underdogs, but you wouldn't bet against them. Um, So yeah, I've got Bournemouth to beat Southampton, City to beat Everton, Chelsea to beat Sheffield United, and Leicester to beat Manchester United in the FA Cup. And then from the league, I've got draws in the Aston Villa Spurs and West Ham Arsenal games. I've got Brighton to beat Newcastle. I've got Fulham to beat Leeds. And that's it. That is the show. Thank you, as always, to Mr. Drinkle. Thank you very much. Thank you to you for listening. Uh, Do spread the word. Keep telling your friends. Until that, we'll see you Monday. Bye-bye.
0: Network.